I promised, and it's finally here. It's time to get a little bit of perspective. With the price at all-time lows, with exchanges and lending platforms imploding, the massive crypto deleveraging event, the Fed tightening, and the market heading into a deep recession, how could you be bullish? Because I'm paying attention. It's time to zoom out, focus our lens past all the noise, take a serious look at the last year in Bitcoin to get a much clearer picture of the cascading dominoes. This will be part one. It's time for a Guy's Take episode. What is up, guys? Welcome back to Bitcoin Audible. We have a guy's take today, and I am Guy. I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. Um, if you listen to this show on one and a half or two X speeds, you gotta you gotta take it back sometime. You gotta take it back. You gotta listen to the intro music on normal speed because it's just good. It's really good, um, and I. It, and maybe it's just because I always hear it on one X, but I know that other people like my brother will like tell me or like be playing something and, and I'll hear the intro music and it's on like 1.5 X or two X or whatever he listens to it on. And it sounds so weird to me. And what's funny is I know it sounds the reverse. Like if it slows down, he'll just think it's like the, it's like a slow dance song. Right. It's so funny how you get used to one thing, but, um, yeah. So I thought I was going to have a shitcoin insider episode for you guys today. Um, we have had to reschedule this three times and we are on the fourth, the fourth schedule because we just had to cancel it yet again. And my insider, uh, believes that someone is out to get the show that like God is a shit coiner or something. And they're just trying to stop it from happening. But I will have, you know, we will not stop. We will not stop until we have another episode of Shitcoin Insider. And I've got such a backlog of ideas and things that we wanted to talk about. And this one's going to be epic. It's going to be epic. And we're not, we're not losing it this time. We're hanging on to where we've got it scheduled. It'll be next Monday, which means I hope to, hope to have it published by Tuesday, maybe even Monday afternoon if I can get on, uh, get on it really quick. But we're going to talk about all, we're going to catch up on all the Shitcoin stuff. Uh, I think, man, there's just a, just an ocean of crap to talk about and dig into. Um, so I'll probably feature that one. I'll put that in this feed. Uh, but you should just go check out and subscribe to Shitcoin Insider anyway, because we are bringing it back from the dead. It is not dead. It is just hard to find the time sometimes, especially when especially when I do this show like constantly. So, hmm. today's episode. I'm drinking some mead, mead from a meadery, uh, not too far from here. It's really good. Um, so today's episode, it's time for a guy's take. It's time for a much, much overdue guy's take, actually. And uh, I might actually have to break this into two parts because I have got so many different things that I was going to cover on this issue. Uh, and I'm not 100% sure I can get it all done in one episode now. So that is my fault. But I think it's going to be two 
amazing episodes. We'll see. We'll see. I'll, we'll see how I feel at the end of this thing. We'll probably go for an hour and a half, and I'll get through half of a third of what I thought I was going to get through, and it'll be a 10-episode series. But uh, we'll see. Maybe maybe I can just, maybe I get through it a whole lot faster than I thought. Who knows? Who knows? So let's give it a shot. Before we dive in, let's take a quick moment and thank our amazing sponsors to this podcast. And who are they? You know exactly who they are. Because you listen to this show. You know it's Bitbox. You know it's the best, simplest, just good, good looking. Good looking. Like it's, it's got the best bod in the business. The Bitbox O2 hardware wallet. And you also know that you get 5% off with code GUY. That's my name, G-U-Y. And then the other one is, is where, where are you going to get the Bitcoins to put it on the BitBox? You're going to get it from Swan Bitcoin. You're going to, if you're trying to get, plug in your IRA, your 401k, you, you got Swan Private. You, got, you have got the best team in the business there to answer your questions, to help you out, to walk you through it. SwanBitcoin.com slash GUY. They're literally the best resource in the business, and they have an awesome team. Uh, Corey is actually going to be our guest of honor on Shitcoin Insider, so get ready. We are going to be tearing apart some shitcoinery. And then lastly, we have the Fold Card. We have the Fold app and Fold Card. I use them for the gift cards. I use them for sats back on Amazon. I use them as my main banking account and I get sats back on every single, oh my God, I haven't spun. I have two, I had two purchases just a little while ago. I'm spinning right now. Could have thought that I'd get value out of this just because it would remind me to make sure I got my spins in for the day. But you can get 20% off the spin plus card with code Bitcoin Audible. Links and show notes, excuse me, links in the show notes and discounts, all that good stuff. Check it out. All right, let's jump back in. Okay, so I've broken up everything that I've saved during this period into like a handful of different categories of like how I think the, on the framing of where this development is and like what area this is. And because the political and kind of government sphere, I think, is kind of its own discussion, and it's probably also where I think things are most bullish, like it's the most important things that are happening when it comes to the next stage of Bitcoin's maturity. Um, I will save that till the last, so that'll most likely be tomorrow's episode. We'll see, though. Um, I think I want to start, actually, um, just because this is what we've been talking about more recently on the show, about how Bitcoin is moving into chapter two so to speak you know in the in the arc of a new monetary good you go from store of value uh medium of exchange unit of account right and and those are basically uh consequences of the varying degrees of liquidity and acceptance um they're that's why i think the the arc of the monetary good is actually really intuitive and simple if you really just kind of think about it um well that's why i think we're moving into chapter two particularly there's something interesting about Bitcoin specifically in comparison to previous monetary goods is that Bitcoin is also a protocol. It's also, it is its own payments infrastructure at the exact same time, even though our, our major, really the payments infrastructure is being built on top of it, but it's being built in conjunction. Like, you know, it's, it's a Bitcoin node that is also a lightning node, right? But it's layered. It's got the same sort of architecture. It's got the same sort of problems and the engineering philosophy of the internet, of the internet itself. And I think that actually reinforces 
that same path, that same path dependency of store of value medium of exchange unit of account. Like I think they actually, even when you look at it from kind of the protocol standpoint, when you think about really any sort of network technologies, it kind of goes through, I mean, it's almost axiomatic to the size of the network when you think about it is that, you know, first one has to understand or grasp the value of it such that you actually invest in it. You invest in the infrastructure, you invest in the tools, you need to actually use it. Um, I mean, think about like the phone, like just the phone network as a network is one had to first understand and realize prior to the investment of the infrastructure that it was worth investing in the phone, that it was going to be a better medium uh, of communication well before there was a network where you could actually call it the medium of communication. Um, and you had to put out the infrastructure, you had to put out the lines, you had to build the devices, you had to market the thing to the customers such that they would actually want to use it. Um, and then the network grows. The network really starts to kick off. You get the kind of second stage where you can plug in the end users, where you've, you've reached, the technology has reached a point where it can scale and provide its technology or provide its benefits to a far larger network than it has. Like you've invested in, you've moved it into kind of that next phase of growth. That's where the S-curve gets kicked off. Um, and then, you know, at the back end of the thing, it's, it simply becomes the standard. Everything, all alternative means of communication then get measured against it, you know, for what was it, 50 years, 60 years, telephone was king. Like the, the AT&T network, like Ma Bell, like that was the communications network. And it really wasn't disrupted until the internet, um, until the, the fundamental means of communication, the way information was transferred and the way it was interacted with was altered at a fundamental level that that entire structure and all of those incumbents essentially lost their position, like like the old the old model essentially died and we moved to an internet world. Um, so, you know, it's not, it's, it's analogous to how a monetary unit or a monetary system comes about, except that the value element is not really, it's not inferred, so to speak, like it would be in a network, uh, in a network like the phone network or something, but it's an explicit thing. Like it's the token itself is or the value itself is the token, uh, is what the token is representing that you are trying to communicate. Um, so it's it's the same it's the same growth and maturation process of a protocol or a technology, a network technology, on top of the economic network and the economic um, laws that coalesce the the value medium coalesce the communication standard down to essentially a single standard. So we are moving into phase two when it comes to Bitcoin. We're moving into the medium of exchange phase. That is what I think the Lightning Network is. It's, it's upgrading, it's maturing Bitcoin the asset into Bitcoin the network stack into the set of protocols that fulfill the role of, uh, that fulfill the service of money rather than me merely the value defined, the, ma the value definition of a monetary good. So that's where we're starting. I want to start with merchant adoption 
with the cultural adoption and where things have changed over the past year. Now, for those of you who don't know, well, long before the Lightning Network, when, uh, when Bitcoin was basically promoted as a decentralized, like peer-to-peer -peer payment network that was going to scale globally, or at least it simply wasn't talked about that there was this extreme limitation there. I mean, there obviously there was among Bitcoiners, but there was this whole, you know, part of the ecosystem, part of the retail excitement about Bitcoin that was just kind of ignoring that, you know, it was the Satoshi Dice age, um, which was just a, a gambling website where you were actually doing the gambling with transactions like on chain. So Satoshi Dice itself, it was like a bunch of microtransactions, just like tiny transactions. Um, and the, like they would fill up blocks by themselves. Um, and, and during that period, uh, we, had this, we had this era of enormous amounts of merchant growth. And well, enormous, that's a, you know, that's a subjective word. There was a lot, especially at the time, it felt like it was happening. You know, like Microsoft accepted it on their store. Overstock accepted it. Um, there were a bunch of places that were just kind of jumping on board because it was really exciting at the time. But there was this very, very serious limitation. Like it was never, ever going to scale in the way that it was being adopted. So we were essentially, you know, way ahead of ourselves. It was... Everybody trying to put up a website and, you know, have an online store in like 1991 or 92 because it was really exciting, but nobody has a desktop computer, so you're not going to sell anything on it. You're, you're way ahead of the game, right? So it died when we kind of ran into the obvious bottleneck of the block size, and then suddenly it was this question of, well, holy crap, what's more valuable here? Is this... Is this actually a brilliant new payment network that can compare with Visa? And that's what it's, that's its, um, you know, raison d'etre. That's its uh, ultimate reason for existing. And that's its ultimate value and everything else should be sacrificed for it. Or is it because this is a secure monetary protocol? This is a secure monetary good that can be validated and secured by tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of computers. Basically anybody who has a freaking hard drive uh, can run the entire Bitcoin system, and so they can keep it decentralized enough that it's totally independent, that it's totally censorship resistant, that it cannot be controlled by a government, that it remains apolitical, that there is no explicit third party or central point of failure to attack it, to slow it down, to prevent blocks from uh, propagating, to split the network into China coin and USA coin, that it remains perfectly independent, decentralized, and able to be validated by any and all users. So that was the question, right? That was, that was the ultimate fight. But if the answer was the latter, then that meant that the merchant adoption and the way we were thinking we would use it during the 2012, 2013, 2014 era was wrong. We were, we were misunderstanding the way it was going to be utilized because that simply did not scale. We had to find some alternative mechanism of keeping the decentralization while not losing the, while, while also being able to scale. That is the Lightning Network. That is the, the engineering approach of building out in layers to get 
the explicit the, the explicit feature or capability that you cannot get on the base layer you maintain the most critical part of the infrastructure the most critical part of its value proposition and then you build layers on top to get the abstraction that one layer of abstraction in order to accomplish everything else that it cannot do at the base you know that's how the internet evolved that's how that's, that's all of all the successful protocols that naturally arise that's how they that's how they come about so now i think we are back around to that merchant adoption phase and we will not run into that bottleneck that's the really exciting thing because one of the one of the bad things about thinking about um or, or framing scaling entirely on chain outside of the oh nobody can actually run a node if you're pushing a gigabyte through this every minute or every 10 minutes if you're pushing that much data through the system then you might as well just open visa servers to the whole world because nobody's going to be able to run a copy of that like i'm not going to be able to run on my computer a copy of the visa network it doesn't matter if it's open it doesn't matter if it's open source if i can download the software i don't my hard drive is full before the afternoon is out and what we're ever we're gonna we're just gonna trust the the four people in the world that can you know purchase a terabyte hard drive every six hours to have the most absurd database of all the recorded transactions in the history of the entire like visa can at least delete stuff after some point maybe they don't but they could we can't bitcoin is not secure unless you can prove the creation the moment and all of the rules that occurred, all of the validation rules that occurred since the moment a Bitcoin was created to the latest time that it was spent. If you cannot follow that chain, if you cannot follow that through the time chain to the very block it was created, you have not, you don't know what money you hold. It is just software. You have decided to trust someone else with that validation, which means that we might as well throw Bitcoin away and just use, just use Visa with open servers. But going back to the kind of contradiction of using the base layer for the for essentially scaling of all payments, small and large, is that large payments, it doesn't matter what your block size is. The demand for payments will eventually just fill up the space available, which means that you're going to have medium and large payments crowd out small payments and because they are competing in an open fee market it's actually it's just a terrible you don't like you don't want a situation where your ability to make a payment is crowded out by a bunch of satoshi dice payments by you know just a flood on the blockchain of one cent and two cent transactions and the economics of it are screwed up too because what the time chain what bitcoin actually validates what bitcoin secures from the concept of like the context of proof of work is the integrity of the data which means it's irrelevant or it's irrespective of how much value is being exchanged so it's not as if you know two bitcoin transactions are spending more in fees or funding more of the data integrity integrity than one you know, one Satoshi or a hundred Satoshi payments, it's the exact same amount of data if it's one UTXO or one input to one UTXO. It's the, it's the data amount. So the, the weight of the value that is being uh, 
of the cost. The cost of that transaction is in its data weight. How much data needs the integrity provided by proof of work, the assurances that you cannot get with any other system. Whereas a payment network, you want the opposite. You want it to be an economic network, one where the, the relevant cost is based on how much money is being moved, on the value transfer. That, in that way, you can have thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of tiny payments that charge that have very, very low cost in order to move them, but then actually fund it. You don't have these big, you don't have the wealthy free riding on the cost burden of the small payments. You have the proper economic alignment where the small payments make it through cheaply and easily, and the big payments are the ones that have to pay. They have to go back um, and, you know, adjust liquidity and channels and, you know, make a Bitcoin on-chain transaction. Whereas I can send one Satoshi, 10 Satoshi payments on Lightning all day, and I'm, I pay essentially nothing. So it realigns the economics to actually make this, this episode or this, uh, this type of expansion on the Bitcoin protocol stack sustainable, economically sustainable in, in my perspective. Now, the big thing that happened on this front is uh, like the big thing in the last year is the strike integration with Blackhawk and uh, NCR. And I don't know when this is going to happen, but I am very excited and I'll probably just use strike because I'll still just want to use fiat in order to accomplish this. Like I still, I don't want to spend my Bitcoin, but no matter what, I am going to try to figure out how to just use lightning everywhere I go because that's just... It's so exciting to see that, you know, this is actually, this is actually happening. It's coming into brick and mortar stores. And we're talking about a growth in the network that can absolutely explode in a matter of a month or two and lightning can actually handle it. Um, as long as they build out the infrastructure ahead of time, we can put this in 80% of the stores, the brick and mortar stores in the US in a matter of a month or two, and it will continue to work. It won't immediately get clogged and fees skyrocket and there's nowhere to go. Granted, there will obviously be growing pains. Uh, there will have to be, um, you know, new channels open on the network. There'll be lots of liquidity changes. But the funny thing is, is that that means that it's, it immediately just becomes a market liquidity provision issue rather than a scaling issue. In some sense, those are the same thing because the, the liquidity provision and allocation through channels is what is making the scaling occur. It's the actual occurrence of the scaling, but the technology in order to accomplish that scaling is already here. We have a hundred X, we have a, we probably have a thousand X scaling technology stack on Bitcoin right now. We simply haven't utilized it. We haven't needed to actually implement the scaling because the network isn't, hasn't grown to that size yet. So we've got the infrastructure, we've got the technology, we've got the development. Now we need the users. That's where we are going into this phase. And that's also why I think this last bull run was kind of eh, muted, so to speak, for in regards to previous bull runs is because there was never retail. Like this was not a retail bull market. It was kind of the beginning of an institutional bull market. And, you know, it makes perfect sense that that's, that's going to be slower. Like, like where, you know, retail had a minor bubble 
in 2013 and 2014 era, like well, minor bubble, minor bubble in the sense, like it was obviously chaotic in the price and the price went absolutely nuts and like, you know, 50x or 100x or something in that time period. I don't remember exactly, but, um, but in the context of like how well the, the retail market was aware of Bitcoin, it was a small portion, you know, it was like that first little hump into the retail market. And then 2017 was the retail market bubble for the recognition of Bitcoin and the crypto ecosystem. Like that's when it like melted into the psyche of the average individual that this thing existed. It infiltrated, permeated everything. 2017 was the retail bubble. This I think is more akin to the 2013, like what happened in you know 2020 and 2021 is more akin to the retail bubble in 2013 and 2014, except that it's that small institutional hump. And what we've done is it's clearly, Bitcoin is clearly defined. It has settled itself as a legitimate asset that is going to be part of the future financial and monetary system. And the major institutions, the businesses and the infrastructure giants, the people who build this thing out and the energy giants, the, the energy infrastructure and producers are figuring out where it fits in. Like we've had this little hump where it was like, okay, we've opened the door. The foot is in the door. We know this is where we're headed. What does that look like? And I think this is the pullback from that. Um, that's why, that's why I think we are not, we really just kind of started into another era of growth. And I think we're about to see as the merchant adoption begins, as, as we start getting plugged in to the payment systems of the world and in the US and in the Western world, specifically, I think it will, I think we'll have the next retail bubble come in as well. We'll have We'll have this kind of doubling down where we get the second institutional bubble and the second retail bubble or kind of the third retail bubble at the same time. And that'll probably be as we move pretty solidly into the government and political bubble um, because or or growth phase of this thing. I don't, I don't want to call it a bubble because that implies that it's fake. Um, but the next stage of growth and hype cycle in in that era of things or in that zone of stuff, we've barely, barely entered the political stage. Um, and I think that's, uh, you know, that's indicative of, like probably that's a good way to think about it, right? Just how much you've, we've seen, like just a handful of countries start kind of talking about it and a you know, couple of politicians here and there bringing it up. And you know, it's a spattering of politicians throughout Africa, uh, you know, speckled, uh, politicians and presidents and things through South America, you know, you know five or six politicians in uh, in U.S. Congress, uh, you know, five and six, uh, five to six total LARPers who are just idiots, like the, like politicians have always been idiots, and they're just you know a pandering to Bitcoiners and crypto, uh, and then they just turn around and do the same old shit they've always done. So, like, that's where we are. I, I feel like that's kind of what happened with institutions, too. Um, like, we just, you know, just the, the waves just started to kind of hit the beach. Like, we're getting, we're just getting a little bit of momentum. And this is the pullback. This is the, this is the first test. This is the deleveraging event from kind of the, the nonsense first wave that always comes in and brings crap and morons with it. Uh, and now it's pulling back out. And we're going to see what 
what what survives, what you know, you know, will separate the men from the boys, so to speak, and see what survives the uh, the correction and the deleveraging. Uh, we'll find a new foundation and a new floor, and the people who have been building the the companies and the institutions that have truly invested in this and are in this for the long haul will start to kick off just the next massive wave of network growth. And I think that's why a lot of I think a lot of the infrastructure and the banking institutions see this coming. I think it's it's pretty clear. I think that's actually what a lot of this deleveraging event might be is washing out of the ecosystem of, of trying to wash out the crap um, because there's just a very, very easy attack vector. There were so many people leveraged so much on an asset that you can't, that has no buyer of la lender of last resort. It has no... You cannot fake the tokens. You can withdraw it, and because of that, it is it is going to be subject to massive deleveraging events if you take the fiat mindset and the fiat gambling behaviors and you try to apply them to Bitcoin. You're gonna have a bad time. And Morgan Stanley this year, it was uh, very recently actually, it was like just a couple of months ago, uh, Morgan Stanley came out and actually said, um, that Bitcoin has reached an important milestone for being widely used as a currency. And he was talking about the low transaction costs, the ability to actually have merchant adoption, um, and, and the Lightning Network, essentially. It was, it was in reference to Strike and the Black Hawk and NCR uh, a partnership that this, was, that this statement was made. And understand, too, like as part of that, 85% of U.S. transactions are still at physical locations. Physical shops, stores, restaurants, in-person transactions still make up 85% of those in the United States. Morgan Stanley specifically said that the Lightning Network and the ability, essentially the evolution of the Lightning Network and the, its adoption in point-of-sale systems is the evolution of Bitcoin toward a medium of payment to become the medium of exchange and, uh, and basically moves Bitcoin from being something that was essentially a solely online phenomenon to something that happens in the real world that, that you can actually use at physical locations, which is, which is one of those moments. It's much like how the internet became front-facing to, to the average user in the late 90s. You started actually interacting with the internet you know it's really hard to explain to people how to use or what you can do with bitcoin when you have to go some roundabout way to actually make use of it when you know like just like just like it's hard to explain to somebody that how, why email is so great if they don't have an email address like they can't you they can't receive an email if they don't have if they're not actually plugged into it um so this is like one of those things where You'll actually be able to show them in person using it at any location. It's like here, no, like lightning is just available. Like you can just use it at these stores down the street, go use it. And it will feel more real to people. Um, and I think when, when, you, when it enters that level of psyche, when it enters that level of prominence within the real world, like, like it will seem less of this silly fake thing that's on the internet and more of just this option that actually exists here and now in front of me.
That's also why I think the next cycle, the next, the next growth phase of this thing is going to be utterly massive because I think it will be the institutional wave in earnest in combination with it entering the period where retail sees it, where it's like present in front of them. It's not this weird online thing. It is this thing that happens at stores down the street in, in my personal life. Uh, I log off the internet and I can walk around and it still just shows back up in, in front of me. And Morgan Stanley actually said in this same like, kind of series of statements that the Lightning Network is actually, specifically with sending small payments, is more practical than debit cards. Now, you and I know this. Everybody who's used the Lightning Network and understands the economics, like how, how it actually works, knows that you know, I can send a hundredth of a penny, a thousandth of a penny over Lightning, no problem, no issues whatsoever. You can't do that with debit cards. And what's funny is that it's not even economic for them to allow that. Like, there would be no benefit. What they would get is this massive data hog uh, and, you know, potentially automated payments on this mass scale with no economic return. So their burden would grow massively while never achieving any sort of value out of actually accomplishing that. There's no reason debit cards would ever attempt to do this um, or allow this to happen. Essentially, the fee structure and how they make money doesn't, they're just not compatible. But Morgan Stanley is essentially recognizing this. They, they see the fact that this is the case. They see lightning in action. And even though lightning still has, there's still plenty of things to fix. There's still lots of development left to, ha uh, left to occur. Uh, much like, you know, using an email or uh, email address, uh, running an email server, um, you know, connecting to the internet, took a modem, like it was all a pain in the ass in the mid-90s. Nonetheless, the writing was on the wall. It was clear what this thing could be. I think we're, we're in that phase right now with Bitcoin and the Lightning Network, the, the protocol stack for the decentralized money and the decentralized payments infrastructure. One other really cool thing is that Morgan Stanley actually mentioned something that I talk about a lot, is that as we enter the medium of exchange phase of Bitcoin, they explicitly said that using this as a payments infrastructure, as a payments network with liquidity on it, you know, using Lightning uh, to settle retail payments, will massively add to the liquidity of the network which will lower the volatility of the asset price. And that's something that people are really, really discounting. When the asset is purely a speculative value, when we're still in the store of value stage, the, the foundation of understanding the valuation of this thing called Bitcoin, you're going to have far faster and wilder swings in its price, in its purchasing power. Um, which obviously we have seen. Now, they have been mitigated. They have uh, slowly decreased or diminished over time. It might not feel like it right now because the price is crazy, but this is, this is a more subdued dip than we are used to in, during the hype cycles of you know, Bitcoin's past. And you, just, you can easily see this on the charts. The volatility is way less than it used to be, and it continues to decline with time. Now imagine we're able to use, you know, we're settling hundreds of billions, trillions of dollars in value across the Bitcoin and Lightning Network as an international and retail payment.
payment and settlement system, that is going to add massive liquidity on the buy and sell end because you're using it to fuel payments, fuel value exchange of other assets, of other currencies. And that, in, that incredible liquidity is mean, it will mean that you can buy a billion dollars, you can sell a billion dollars, and that liquidity will be there in, in payment settlements. You'll be able to soak that amount of value up in the system and it will not, it will not cause huge shifts in the price. And that is when you start talking about the unit of count. That is when you start talking about chapter three, the, the third phase of monetization of Bitcoin. And it's exciting to hear Morgan Stanley, one of the dinosaurs, the, you know, the banking giants, actually make this same statement to actually see just far enough forward that they can realize that this is going to change the element of Bitcoin it's going to change the asset of Bitcoin into a far more stable and liquid asset that can then begin to be used as a true global independent currency. So this is about to get real. Um, let's go ahead and pause right here, hit our sponsor for today, and then we will get into this in earnest. It's times like these why you ignore the price noise and stay on the mission. And you do that with Swan Bitcoin. This is where and how Bitcoiners are built in the bear market. This is where your auto stacking with Swan Bitcoin it pays big time. This is why you ignore the market noise. This is why you stack automatically. You do it weekly or monthly, whatever it is that works for you on Swan. This is why you work with a team of real Bitcoiners who warned everyone about Celsius, about Terra Luna, and tons of the other projects that people have gotten burned over. This is why you work with Swan Private to take custody yourself, to auto-withdraw, to have a team to answer any of your questions, to integrate it with your business, to integrate it with your traditional retirement account. This is why you go through Swan Bitcoin's educational resources, the Bitcoin Canon, curated content by the best Bitcoiners in the space. It is pure signal. This is why you use Swan Bitcoin. If you aren't over there yet, go to swanbitcoin.com guy. That is my personal page. And you can check out Swan Private. You start your automatic withdrawals. You can get to know the Swan team. You can hang out in the Swan Cafe. You can check out the amazing stuff built by Swan Studios. You got to check them out. Again, that's swanbitcoin.com guy. Now, one thing I think, you know, this is a little bit on... on in line with the meme of everything's good for Bitcoin. But there's a cultural side of this where I think the mental framing is so important to point out because attacks on Bitcoin are good for Bitcoin. And, and I know that sounds ridiculous and it sounds like just like hopium or, um, you know, just a Bitcoin, a permanent Bitcoin bull, which is myself, Guy Swan, obviously, I am always bullish on Bitcoin, trying to make excuses for negative news. But I think there is a really important framing about having to attack, about having to resort to personal attacks on Bitcoiners themselves in order to frame the alternative in order to promote what you are trying to do. 
And that's where the change the code campaign, which is really just shitcoiners, this the Ripple CEO, which is like king shitcoin. I really think the change the code campaign is really good for Bitcoin because it starts a conversation. You know, people don't really know what the hell the difference is between proof of stake and proof of work is. People don't know this. What I think this will do or help show is what a joke it is to attempt to try and change Bitcoin. This campaign is going to fail. I feel like that, that, that change the code thing has already failed. It's already a disaster. They wasted it. They spent $5 million on it so far. They wasted it. They, by posting all of this on social media, they got nowhere. And they essentially just gave themselves a platform for us to throw tomatoes at them. And the fact that as much as people hate on Bitcoin maximalism and hate on the, the arrogant Bitcoin culture, which I will openly admit it definitely is, but there is something about conviction. There is something about that, that personal confidence of, yeah, sure, it dropped 60%. Don't give a shit. Didn't read. Still buying. Never selling. <laughs> you know, that, that sort of mentality, that asshole-esque uh, culture is actually really powerful at the same time that, you know, it can be off-putting. Um, it's obviously, that's not, that is not Bitcoin. That is Bitcoin Twitter. That is Bitcoin social media. That is the Twitter sphere of, of the culture of Bitcoin. However, it is also a show of conviction. It's, it's a show of this is how much we don't care. The reason it's so infuriating and off-putting is because you can throw any insult at Bitcoiners and it bounces right off. That is infuriating. That is absolutely infuriating. If you have ever tried to emotionally hurt someone who has bullied you or something and you call them stupid and it just bounces right off of them and they don't care, it is infuriating. So of course they hate us. Of course they hate the Bitcoin maximalist culture because you know when they write an article, this is something that happened recently, they said most Bitcoiners and uh, people, uh, crypto people are financially illiterate. Like people, I, I put it in my profile. <laughs> I put it in my description. And then the dark tetrad that like everybody was a psychopath. It's dark tetrads started showing up everywhere. I think that is actually a net benefit. That's, that's one of those like mental framing things where it feels like something you can't get rid of. It feels like something that is unstoppable because even the culture refuses to be, is insult resistant in the same <laughs> way that the network is censorship resistant. Bitcoin is the personification, the Bitcoin culture is the personification of sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. <laughs> you know, it's like, bitch, I held through an 80% drop in the Bitcoin price after investing at the tippity top. And I've, I've watched and read the articles and the news reports of hundreds, possibly thousands of claims that Bitcoin is dead, Bitcoin's a Ponzi scheme, all these people are stupid and they're going to lose all their money. What do you have? What ammunition do you have to make me change my mind? You don't. And that's the beauty of Bitcoin, right? That's the beauty of the volatility of this market and the fact that we have real prices is that we build market chads. We build people with conviction and we squeeze the weak hands out. It's like, bitch, get your, get your sad little hands out of here. We don't care. Are you going to sell? Oh, Elon Musk is going to sell? Dump on, okay, shit on Elon Musk. Nobody cares. We don't, Bitcoin doesn't need Elon Musk. 
Like, and you see this, like, and everybody from, from the outside tries to claim, oh, you know, Bitcoiners are all pandering to Elon Musk. And then they, they're quiet and they don't, they won't bring it back up again when Elon Musk says something stupid or then promotes Doge and Bitcoiners just absolutely shit on him. Like just unbelievably shit on him. And then, you know, you'll, they'll complain about that too. Is it like, oh, Bitcoiners are just mean and they attack everybody. It's like, well, bitch, you were complaining that we were just pandering to wealthy people like 20 minutes ago. And now we're, you know, publicly humiliating them and crucifying them. And now we're just mean. Well, what you have actually proved is that your previous pr criticism was bullshit. For all its faults, and for all its misguided attacks, and for all its overzealous immune system, Bitcoin culture does not take shit. And I don't know how you get that culture without all the negative consequences, without all, all the negative externalities of being an asshole online, of the ridiculous memes, of attacking the wrong people from time to time. You know, it's a culture, it's a giant group of diverse people. There's always going to be the morons in the space. There's always going to be the people who don't know what they're talking about, are totally ignorant, but love the culture of just being an ass. But it feels like to me, in the last like year or whatever, there's been a lot of that cultural, a lot of step up in the cultural attacks and the personal attacks on Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoiners. Like they're, oh, far right, they're connected to far right extremists. They're psychopathic. <laughs> they're, um, uh, they're financially illiterate. Uh, they hate the environment. Like all, like all of these things. This is... I think it's an indication. You don't waste your time attacking something that nobody cares about. I think it's an indication of the cultural weight of Bitcoin that there have been so many instances of this in the last year. And when we come out of this bear market, when we come out of this crash, I think it's going to be that much stronger. And we're going to have wiped our hands of a lot of crypto bullshit um, and I don't know if that means we need to go lower still. We need to wipe out a lot of leverage still in the system before we do it. But regardless, um, I think we're moving into a stronger space from, from that perspective. And, you know, this past year has also been kind of like the, the integration. It's like Bitcoin and sports, which I didn't really see that coming. Um, there were a lot of cases uh, that I saved, and I didn't even save them all because I'm not really a, much of a sports ball person. But I should have I should have done a better job. I, I think I saved like eight or nine instances of this, and a lot of them. I don't know if like Cash App specifically was like pushing for the like like basically doing outreach to a lot of these people, but Cash App is really kind of at the heart of a lot of these announcements. But a number of indie, NBA players, um, non uh, Andre. Uh, Clay Thompson, there's been a big push in football players. Uh, uh, Tom Brady even has, I, th I think his is probably like a little bit more than a year old, like year and a half old when Tom Brady was kind of making waves in crypto and Bitcoin. Aaron Rodgers uh, of Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers was a big one. That was also a cash app sort of announcement. Um, and, uh, and Aaron Rodgers, if you haven't followed Aaron Rodgers, he's been pretty awesome. That guy's, that guy's based. He's, he's been pushing back on a whole lot of stuff. Like that guy is clearly like a Bitcoiner at heart. Um, you should definitely follow Aaron Rodgers if you haven't.
uh, Santa Mac Jones, the Patriots quarterback, uh, actually gifted Bitcoin to his entire offensive line. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, you know, tweeted out, it's a new era to kick it off. I'm taking my new salary in Bitcoin thanks to Cash App. All my fans out there, uh, thank you. I gave away a million dollars in Bitcoin. Again, you know, like Cash App has been at the heart of a lot of this like access, like because Cash App and Strike have made the conversion or the acceptance of Bitcoin um, much, much easier in like a big way. And I think it was, I can't remember who, God, see, this is, this is where I wish I had done a better job of actually saving these things because there were definitely a handful of them where Strike specifically reached out after they made like a tweet. Um, like there's an there Australian baseball team partnered with OpenNode, Perth Heat, um, uh, and they're just operating on a, a Bitcoin standard uh, that players can accept payment in Bitcoin. They can accept payments directly to them in Bitcoin for their merch and stuff. They hold Bitcoin on their balance sheet. Like, like when they say a Bitcoin standard, like it's no joke. It's a Bitcoin standard. There was just a surprising amount of that stuff this year for me. Um, and uh, like I said, I wish I'd kept a little bit better track of it. But I think it's better as just kind of a talking point rather than having like a a huge list of all the companies and people who uh, made moves or made comments about Bitcoin. Um, you know, the as gross as this is to me, I hate crypto.com, but the fact that the Staples Center, the, the arena, got changed to the crypto.com arena, part of me hates it, but you have to, you have to recognize that that is a big deal. I mean, we've come a long way from the Petersburg game back in 2014, I think it was, um, that was sponsored by uh, BitPay, I believe it was, to an arena renamed from Staples to Crypto.com, to the Crypto Arena. So that's, that's, it's, a, it's a big deal, you know, shitcoins aside. Um, Actually, that's a good segue into BitPay finally integrated the freaking Lightning Network. So they were vicious in the block size wars, and they were super against all the Lightning Network stuff, and they were like, oh, we're going to segue, we're going to hard fork. They were all about the increase the block size and segwit 2x, and I think even, I can't remember specifically, but I feel like they went all support Bcash, um... It's hard to remember exactly what each player did. So if I'm wrong on that, that's my bad. But uh, whatever, BitPay deserves the the problem. BitPay has been, Jesus Christ. Um, I'm kind of amazed that they still have the position that they have. Because um, they have, they do not have, in my in, in my opinion, in my perspective, they, they have kind of a real shit history when it comes to supporting and actually making good use of and protecting, helping Bitcoin, the network, and the system and the community. So, whatever they finally capitulated, they integrated Lightning Network. You know, I wondered if that was it, would that would ever even happen. So that's a big deal. That's a pretty big deal. I think that's a, another indication of the writing on the wall of the. It's clear where this is moving, and even the people who have been viciously against it and are having to kind of quietly pretend that they didn't rail against it and talk about what shit it was and how they were never going to do it now have to integrate it and just pretend like, oh, it was their idea all along and this is great. 
what a what a great technology this lightning network is it's come a long way you know we have to change with the times when when you know the technology's better we update our assessment we stand by the statements we made in the past uh but now it's different the situation's different it's like well yeah that's because technology changes you moron it's not static it's a trend it's a process if you had better imagination than a goldfish you would have known this was where lightning was going anyway there's probably a bunch of Lightning Network haters listening to this right now, talking, thinking, just, just, what a dumb, dummy guy swan in. Okay. Um, let's see. Yeah, it's like a fashion label, off-white, now accepts Bitcoin for payment. Verifone. Um, Verifone's actually one of the largest payment processors in the world, uh, which, you know, I hear about them, but it's like I never see them. But they partnered with B BitPay. Um, that, I mean, that's big news, you know, like incumbents basically getting on board, um, and partnerships. And I think that's kind of the indication of how obvious it is that a lot of the payments infrastructure, the incumbent payment infrastructure is going to be plugged into lightning network. Like if visa isn't kind of like sweating balls right now about the strike and point of sale systems, uh, being integrated, think about the damage that could be done if 5% of payments move over to the Lightning Network and it works and it's cheaper and it's faster and it's safer for a lot of people, that is not a trend you want to be on. That is, that is the wrong side of the trend. That goes from 5% to 10% really, really fast. And anybody with the slightest, even the slightest bit of business sense knows that you have to adjust. You have to respond to that quickly or you are going to get left behind. Because that 5% goes to 10%, it's not linear. The growth is exponential. The growth is network growth, not, not linear growth. So that 5% goes to 10%, that 10% goes to 20%, that 20% goes to you are a dinosaur and your entire industry left you behind. And to get that first 5%, to get that first 10%, all you have to do is go to international payments. All you have to do is go to international merchants and international settlement. And Western Union is dead. Western Union doesn't even have a way out of this. Visa should be looking at Western Union and sweating. Verifone is aware of the problem. And Verifone is jumping on board. Blackhawk, NCR, they are aware of where we are going and they are jumping on board. The question is, when do the rest of them finally plug in? And do they make the stupid mistake of going shitcoins, of going quote-unquote crypto, and then having to undo their infrastructure, having to walk it back, and just like BitPay, going Bcash or whatever, or Segwit2x, have to walk it back and then try not to look like an idiot as they then later plug into the Lightning Network? Nobody wants to be that guy. And I, I actually kind of think regarding the infrastructure and the payment processors that that won't happen is because you want to be interoperable. Like the feedback loop of four payment processors have integrated Lightning. Every payment processor needs to integrate Lightning. And I think the movement forward, I think we've already reached the tipping point where you can't do anything else with Cash App, with Strike. Um, Cash App is a big deal. The fact that Cash App has Lightning Network, um, the fact that PayPal and Venmo have gone Bitcoin. Uh, I, I, th I think it's just going to be pretty clear. And with uh, Verifone integrating with BitPay, BitPay has Lightning Network. 
um, with uh, OpenNode partnering, uh, which has Lightning Network and Bitcoin, with Strike and Nidig. Nidig is all Lightning Network and all Bitcoin. And that's actually another one of the sports things that I forgot to mention is the Houston Rockets have partnered with Nidig. Um, and Nidig is kind of like this sleeping giant. And, and we're going to get into that a little bit more in tomorrow's episode um, because Nidig is just kind of its own beast to dig into. And I really, really want Ross Stevens on the show. I know he, you know, doesn't like to, you know, have a big public face, but I'm going to bitch again and I'm going to just, you know, do a little bit of begging right now uh, on on the recording to say if anybody, if Ross Stevens hears this, if anybody talks to Ross Stevens, Stevens after hearing this, I want to get him on the show. I at least want to get somebody from Nidig on the show. Somebody from Nidig who is listening to this, please. I want to do an episode. I don't do chats very often. I, I don't take any of the solicitations I get for the show. I just wait until I have something I really want to talk about and really want to dig into, and then I have a guest. That's what I want to talk about. I want to talk with somebody from Nidig. I want to talk about what you guys are doing. I want to talk about where the future of that com- company is, plugging into the banking infrastructure. That shit is exciting to me. I don't know if I'm just like a freakish nerd, but please, I want somebody on the show. That's the end of my pandering. Okay, back to back to our list, to the things here. So also Shopify. Shopify is a big deal. Um, Shopify merchants can now use Lightning and Bitcoin to accept payments. So Shopify is the, I think it was the 18th, if I remember. Yes. So it's the 18th largest e-commerce, e-commerce company in the world. So that's a pretty big deal. And Robinhood, which has allowed you to buy Bitcoin, now lets you finally withdraw. And I think this is also kind of another element of showing the culture, the, the strength of the Bitcoin culture, is that not your keys, not your coins. And this is something that we need to double down on. We need to make sure that we ridicule and call scam on any institution that lets you buy Bitcoin and does not let you withdraw it. That is not Bitcoin. That is a shitcoin. That is wrapped BTC. That is a shitcoin called Bitcoin. It's not real. And we need to make that known because every single one of them, I don't, I don't care if they're, it's on their roadmap. If it's not there yet, it's a scam. They're, 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 everyone's a scammer. They're selling you tokens that they want you to pay for at the price of Bitcoin. You don't know shit. There is no guarantee that they have that Bitcoin. And if they come in not knowing the history, not knowing how many people have gotten burned, lost hundreds of millions, billions of dollars on exchanges that lie to them, on institutions that pretend that they can use, they can treat this just like fiat and they can't, well, then they deserve it. They deserve the ridicule. They deserve to be shit on relentlessly until they have withdrawals. And that is what I think happened to Robinhood. Maybe they were already in, always intending on doing that, but if they weren't, I like to think that the reason it happened is because of the amount of ridicule they received for selling paper Bitcoin in the place of real Bitcoin. So Robinhood finally upgraded from straight scam to a really bad exchange that has screwed over its customers many, many times. But you can get your Bitcoin off of it. Congratulations, Robinhood. All right. Um... So MicroStrategy bought another 7,000 Bitcoins at 29,000. That was $3.57 billion uh, at the time. Um, Billionaire Bill Miller 
explains, he casually said in an interview that he had half of his net worth in Bitcoin, which is probably now like a third or a quarter of its net worth. But nonetheless, um, Bill Miller has invested heavily in Bitcoin. And if he invested without realizing the volatility and the risk of a deleveraging event and of this exact sort of fallout, well, then he's an idiot. I suspect he's not an idiot and he's sitting fine. Now, this next one, actually, um, the fundraiser, the Canadian truckers, this one kind of falls under the political category, but I feel like it also falls under the cultural and like adoption category because there was a major, you know, a lot of people gave Nobody, uh, Nobody Caribou and BJ like gave these guys like real crap for how that unfolded. But I gotta, I gotta say, there was no clear way to do this. This was something that we had not tested. Dispersing that Bitcoin to people while protecting their privacy, while making it so that you didn't have to trust that, um, that this was going on. Like, like there were a lot of different issues, and somebody was going to bitch about the fact that you know you showed these truckers receiving Bitcoin on camera and you posted it online and then somebody else if the bitcoin was just said oh they got to the truckers somebody else was going to bitch that we didn't see it what'd you do with this bitcoin there was no clean way to do this and more importantly we had never really onboarded in kind of an emergency situation hundreds thousands of people directly into bitcoin before um such that we had to show them how to do I mean, like, that was that was a hell of an orchestration. This was a serious test case for exactly that scenario when GoFundMe got shut down, when bank accounts of the truckers got shut down, when uh, accounts were frozen, when the funds raised on multiple platforms was all frozen. Some of it, GoFundMe was going to confiscate it and give it to other people. The audacity of that was just mind-blowing to me. Um, and we tore them apart on Twitter. In fact, it was the Meme Factory and me, and we started the go fund yourself slash hashtag go fuck yourself uh, meme. At least I think we did. Um, and we, we kind of joked about like making it a thing, and then it kind of like blew up. It was uh, actually talked about on um, the meme, obviously. Um, uh, not where it came from. But it was uh, brought up by a number of people, like I think um, Ted Cruz mentioned it, and it was brought up on Tucker Carlson. Um, it kind of made its rounds, like that. Apparently, that meme like made it somewhere. Um, I don't know. I hope. I, I feel like I'm going to take credit. We're gonna. It was. It was the Meme Factory and myself that made this happen. Um, it's a pretty obvious meme, so that's probably a big stretch to say that we made it and it only happened because of us but because i have no alternative story and we did in fact do it the first time and we did not see somebody else do it it's ours we did that so you know accept it okay but yeah that whole that that whole episode was just nuts and bitcoin really kind of took the stage um and made its way into um, into the national and political sphere specifically because the Bitcoin actually made it to them. Only the things that were sent over exchanges, only the things using third parties, only the, only the funds over GoFundMe, only the bank accounts 
All of that stuff was frozen in all the different ways. But the Bitcoin made it to the truckers, and I do not know of a single case of it being confiscated yet. That is rather incredible when you think about it. And even better, um, you know, this isn't talked about very much, but all of the funds, they did like list like addresses where they said these are the coins and they warned exchanges not to accept them, blah, blah, blah. Um, so there's like the on-chain footprint, but what's funny is that not one of the things that I saw, and I kind of like kept a really close eye on it during that time, not one of them mentioned the lightning funds. There were a lot of donations that happened over Lightning, and you want to know why they didn't mention them? Because they don't know how much it was. Now, there are certain things where they can say, oh, it probably went to this channel, or it was in this location, um, and you know they could go trying to make an invoice, and you know if they're intelligent enough and they know how to actually do analysis on this, they can say, okay, well, this is the Lightning node, uh, at least when I made this invoice that is receiving the payment, so here are the channels. But they don't know which, what Bitcoin belongs to who in that. They can't see the payment history. They can't see how many donations they received. Even with network analysis, di discerning out individual payments and amounts is not an easy thing. And that's enlightening in the state that it is, where privacy is kind of, is pretty limited. Um, the, the beauty of Lightning really just on its face about privacy is that there's no permanent record of all the transactions. Like, it's ethereal. You know, it's not, it doesn't get posted to the chain. So that just by default is, is kind of an order magnitude increase on the payment privacy problem. Now, you still have network analysis. You still have nodes and channels and you broadcast, like, where your channels are if you're a public node, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So... There's, there's still plenty of information given out, but it's a very different problem. And it's a far more privacy-leaning situation where, where privacy actually has the capability of being secured at this layer where it's so difficult to happen on the Bitcoin base layer. And I think this is a perfect indication of that. They, they didn't say anything about the Lightning payments. They don't know how many Lightning payments there were. They do not know how much was raised over Lightning. What they have are a bunch of Bitcoin addresses of the explicitly sent to the public, uh, the public address on public forums and the public transactions that were made to them. That is their record. That is what they put in their memo. That is what they warned exchanges about. And they don't really have a way to connect it to any of the other stuff. Anything that was on Lightning specifically. So that's just something to keep in mind. That's an interesting tidbit to everything that unfolded that I thought was underappreciated and also a good indication of the trend and the direction that things are moving and I think privacy on top of lightning has a very bright future despite the fact that it's still a very we, we, we did a whole episode on this actually if you want to go back I'll try to remember to put this in the show notes um, uh, Anthony Rooning has a really good piece breaking down the privacy issues on Lightning and exactly the situation where you're giving up information, possibly more information than you want to without realizing it. Um, so that's an important thing, particularly if you're trying to get privacy. Um, uh, definitely dig into that if you know that's a topic that interests you. We've covered it a couple times on the show, and it will come back. So obviously, subscribe to the show and listen to every single episode of the podcast so that you don't miss it when we do talk about it again. Okay, 
I got to get through this. We're already an hour and a half. Or, excuse me, hour and five minutes. Um, so, so in Dubai, uh, 29 shopping malls and 13 hotels um, partnered with Binance. They're now accepting Bitcoin. Uh, and they partnered with the retail giant Majid al Futaim group. I don't know. I didn't click on it and dig any further. Um, that's just an interesting, interesting tidbit. Um, Chipotle, Chipotle now accepts Bitcoin. I didn't know this. And now I want to, I don't know exactly how that, I don't know. I just saved that. I just saved that tidbit. I don't even have a link for it. I need to go to Chipotle and see like, what does that mean? Do they actually accept it in person? Like where? I, I don't know. I, I saw that, and that's cool if it's true, but I have a feeling that if I go to my local Chipotle, I won't be able to spend Bitcoin, but I want to see. So I should have checked that before I did this episode. But life is a little crazy right now. Um, Rad is... Rad makes it difficult to get out of the house. <laughs> but we're trying. We're learning. We're getting into a rhythm. We're sorting it out. It's doing better every four or five days, like we're, we're looking back and it's like, holy shit, our situation has improved massively. So that's good. Um, uh, so Goldman Sachs had a survey that 20 insurance company, uh, insurance companies are already invested in Bitcoin. Um, we're considering it. That's, that's one from Bitcoin archive. Didn't check the source there. Uh, but obviously, I mean, like I said, this is a little bubble into the, or a little bump into the hype cycle of institutions. Um, and I think that's kind of like what you see, like that's kind of indicative of where we are. When we go back to $40,000, $50,000, $60,000 range and Bitcoin has survived, I think the flood of those sorts of institutions of insurance companies and stuff are going to be crazy. Um, and the ones that invested ahead of time and actually bought during the dip are really going to get the payoff. Um, Achieva Credit Union just launched Bitcoin trading in their app. Um... Uh, yeah, there's a couple of these, just kind of boring, like little, oh, this company did this. Oh, I guess I mentioned this, but didn't talk about what a big deal it was. Um, Lightning Network is on Cash App. I, I, have, I have withdrawn from Cash App over Lightning. That is really exciting. Um, so that was recent. I kind of forgot that that was recent. I took that for granted very, very quickly because it's like, oh, obviously they have um, uh, Lightning Network. Oh, and also, that was actually one of the really cool things is uh, Jack Dorsey talks about in an interview with somebody. I don't remember where I saw or heard this, but he talks about how at Square, at Block, um, where they made Spiral, BTC, the company or whatever, and they just have like a bunch of developers. Like, they actually made the Lightning Network development kit. They made an LDK for Lightning um, and Jack said in whatever I was listening to that they didn't actually give them any direction. They basically just said, uh, we want you to work on Lightning, to bring Lightning to more people, to make it more accessible. And you can work separately. You can work all together. It doesn't matter. You decide. And they basically worked together. They decided they were going to work on a single project and they were going to make a development kit to so that onboarding and using lightning is just that much easier like the integration is just simple it, it's it's fluid um and that is actually jack said that they did not they did not intend for that and they also did not in, like specifically say as like cash app we want you to build an ldk so that we can implement it but in looking at the options 
he specifically said that the LDK that they built, the development kit that they built, just was the one that worked. Like it was, it was exactly what they needed, and that's how they implemented Lightning Network in Cash App. So as a kind of first run for like, holy shit, this LDK really does is really useful um, and and you know beneficial to developers and to businesses and wallets to to implement this easily. Um, without having to like really know the ins and outs, like without having to fight with lightning, like you can just use the development kit to build your tools, to build your to build your um uh, your application. I think that's a really good indication, or, or it's a really good show of like this is how well it works. So, you know, we had these developers; they built this independently, and it was good enough. It worked in such a way that we could implement this on Cash App, and now the Lightning Network is available. Um, so it's like, you know, it's proof of concept, right? It's like this thing works. Look, Cash App, one of the biggest customer to customer, like payments, uh, a payments app has lightning. So yeah, that was a big deal. I thought that was, I thought that was really cool. That's, that's exciting to me. Um, Goldman Sachs, uh, has started offering Bitcoin to high net worth individuals. Uh, let's see, Texas Bank Laredo. Uh, offering salary payments in Bitcoin as start as part of staff savings plans. That's actually cool. I would really like to see, you know, Pierre Richard actually had like a little article that's like a minute long. I should do a little interim episode and, and read that. Um, but it's uh, about Bitcoin as savings. Um, and I really hope that catches on. I would love to see salary like benefits packages that where People who earn basically get a 1%, 5% like savings plan in Bitcoin and, you know, the company matches it like very 401k-esque, except I invest in hard money. I invest in sound, in a sound monetary good. Um, and it's like multi-sig and, you know, like, like, you know, done in like a very secure fashion. Um, that would just be really exciting. That, that would be really interesting to see. I would like to see a company offer that as a service. Um, and like for, you know, for businesses and employers to plug into, that might be something there. If anybody's listening to this and, you know, like that's kind of their forte of like services for businesses. Yeah. Yeah. You might consider it. You might consider it. We're in a, we're in a shitty situation financially. 401ks are looking bad. Like it's a real messy world that we live in when it comes to finances. That could be a really interesting alternative, uh, platform or alternative offer for an employer that could get a lot of young, uh, you know, talented people, especially in tech and development and that sort of thing, where, you know, you, you basically say, like, listen, we're going to match this, you know, like, we're going to do this. This is part of your savings plan if you want it. So that's, that's something to think about, business opportunity. Take it, take it or leave it. Okay, so where I'm, I'm not even close to through this thing. Um, okay, let me just hit, like, a bunch of stuff right here to, to get through this section and that way, this might be three episodes, man. I don't know. This is a lot to cover. Uh, I've waited way too long to do this episode or, or this this recap, whatever we want to call it. Um, so Fidelity is adding Bitcoin to 401k. Um, uh, Ryan Paul on Twitter, I saved this, says that this puts a lot of pressure on Schwab and Vanguard. Uh, those three alone have $20 trillion in assets under management. Um, but Fidelity, Fidelity has been amazing on Bitcoin. I love the, uh, still one of my favorite reports most recently was Fidelity's 
Bitcoin first report. You have not done that one. You got to. Uh, Fidelity is killing it on Bitcoin. They they have set themselves up pretty. Um, I think they're going to do really well. So, okay. So uh, let's see. Australia's largest bank, Commonwealth, uh, is adding Bitcoin to their banking app. I don't know if that happened yet or when that was. Let's let's see. That was. Okay, so that was at the very beginning of the year. That might be available now. I don't, I don't know yet. Um, Nidig, uh, that company that I was talking about earlier, it got a valuation at seven billion dollars with a one billion dollar funding round. That is that is exciting. Uh, they also uh, purchased uh, Bottle Pay, uh, which if you ever used Bottle Pay, they're lightning. Um, Nidig is definitely investing in the the banking, the Bitcoin banking settlement and infrastructure and payments side of things. Um, and that's why I'm, I mean, they're partnering with Strike, obviously. Um, uh, but that's why I'm really exciting about, excited with what Nidig is doing. Like, they're building the real shit. And I just, God, I want to dig into that super bad. Um, Ledin raises $70 million. Uh, they announced a Bitcoin-backed mortgage product. Uh, Venture Froth. And I don't think Ledin has gotten hit in this deleveraging event. I think they were actually pretty stable, which is good. Um, I still, I'm not using them because I can't see my Bitcoin with them. But uh, it seems like they're a little bit more responsible than Celsius. Uh, so that's that's a good sign. FTX came in at a $32 billion valuation. FTX is crazy. They just, it's so funny. I heard about them so short, like very shortly after the whole BitMEX incident. And they just, God, some of these, some of these exchanges like the the trading platforms or whatever just blow up so fast. Um OpenNode closed a $20 million Series A funding. Uh they got a $220 million valuation uh led by Kingsway including Twitter, Tim Draper. Um this was on their blog actually. I saved this. OpenNode is great if you haven't like so they're they're basically payments uh a payment service accepting service uh with really low fee i think it's like a one percent fee or less now I'm, I'm not even sure but they do bitcoin and lightning so they're they're basically a bitpay competitor way better than bitpay in a lot of different ways in my opinion open was actually the first one of the first ones i integrated with the website before i had kind of got my own node and stuff set up dude they were absolutely seamless it took me like i don't even know like two minutes or three minutes like i was I was like, shit, this is so easy. I might never even plug in my own node. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm a huge fan of OpenNode, and they kill it, and I love to see them just kind of like getting consistent growth because they're a good company on top of everything else. Okay, so Fidelity International launches a Bitcoin ETP in Europe, so an exchange-traded product, just, you know, ETF-esque. Um, and there's been a lot of ETPs popping up. Um, that that's that's been a pretty interesting front. I haven't kept up on it a lot because ETP like it's kind of easy to invest in Bitcoin in those ways throughout most of Europe. Um, it's really kind of the U.S. that's the laggard on all this stuff. So when the ETF happens in the U.S., it's going to be a giant nothing burger when a spot ETF, excuse me. Um, but uh, uh. But it will probably it'll probably get waves from a media standpoint just because it's been so long overdue. Um, so let's see: Citadel, Fidelity, and Charles Schwab 
are building a Bitcoin and crypto platform together. Um, that's interesting. Uh, State Street, which has $43.7 trillion in assets. 43.7, that just seems impossible. That's so crazy. Under custody and administration. How does that, how, how does that, can that possibly be right? Anyway, they will offer Bitcoin and cryptocurrency services for institutional customers. Today, we are talking custody. There's a quote. Uh, Today, we are talking custody, but the sky is the limit. Nadine Shakar, head of State Street Digital. That is, that is pretty epic. I'm going to take note of that and try to stay on top of that. And, you know, that's one of those things, too. Like, when, when we talk about institutions... Any serious institution that considered and looked at Bitcoin, like really analyzed what's going on and looked at the space and looked at its history, should not be surprised by this, um, like this current move. And they should not be shaken out by this move either. This should be seen as an opportunity. If they are, they never did their homework anyway in the first place. Institutions do their homework. They move very, very slowly. And this is why I talked about like pretty early on that, you know, this felt like um, you know, we were going to move into really big, long, drawn-out cycles. Um, and, and that's that's kind of what this feels like. This feels like kind of a muted... It was not only a muted bull market, but it was also a bit of a muted bear market. And I know that sounds ridiculous right now. Like, it feels really vicious. And we could go lower. You know, like, maybe we do end up with a 70%, 80% crash. Who knows? But um, I don't know. I don't know. It kind of feels like... It's running like we're in the single digits of fear. Um, but a lot of people are building this up. But And maybe I'm just so desensitized. I've been in Bitcoin for so long. But this just has been a bit of a nothing burger. I don't know. Like, I, I've just been, I've just kind of coasted through this. Like, you know, there's been that day where it's like, oh, the price hurts. But I don't know. That's about it. That's That's kind of as far as it goes. And then... We keep building, we keep doing, and I get an opportunity. Man, the fold stacks, the fold stacks. So I'm getting just like little spins or whatever, like on the purchases and stuff that I make. And like, I'm getting so many more sats on these. Like I, I've stacked a full like million sats additional in like the last month because of the price being low and I'm getting more stats for my percentages. That's, man, this, that's really been, this is probably the equivalent of just excitement over how many sats I'm able to get for stuff as, and then in my, my swan stack and like when I'm refilling stuff on strike, sats are cheap. It's kind of exciting. Anyway, I'm on a tangent again. Okay. So let's see. Let's see. Zoltan credit Suisse is Zoltan. Um, this is interesting because Zoltan Pulsar, uh, has man, he has got his finger on the pulse of the petrodollar system. He has done such a good job of breaking down exactly what's going on with that. And, and like we've covered a number of different things that he's talked about on the show. Uh, I think Alan Farrington, one of his their race, his recent piece, piece is, man, can't talk. Um, specifically mentioned uh, Zoltan. God, where did we really dig into that? I feel like there was an article that we read. Was it Farrington? I don't know. Um, I'll try to remember to link to something because I watched a number of things on YouTube and uh, articles uh, by Zoltan after this uh, or after we uh, covered that episode and I first heard about him just because he really seems to understand the monetary dynamics in like a really crazy way. 
um, and has kind of called that the petrodollar has ended and, you know, called a lot of the major things, the major events that have happened. And he, like where so few people are really talking about like, really having the monetary conversation from the context of like currency wars and regime change and like the, the dominant global monetary order. He that that is like that is his wheelhouse. Um, so uh, but he said that if Bitcoin still exists after this, it's going to be six figures. That's what he said. Now, I will tell you, Zoltan is not a Bitcoiner. He is not he is not all about promoting Bitcoin. He doesn't even really believe in it. It's just kind of this thing that's in the sphere, uh, the political and like geopolitical sphere of the currency wars now. Uh, and for him to say that, that it will be six figures if it simply still exists, which has been my motto, my like the lesson that I try to get through is that this this whole thing is a game of survival. Can we keep a decentralized a political neutral currency that is global sustained can we keep it safe can we protect it can we keep it alive because if it stays alive it's going to be utterly massive that's all it needs to do zoltan says that if bitcoin as a non-bitcoiner as somebody who's not even interested in doesn't even really think about it in the context of like oh this is a huge big thing that's the new internet no just looking at it from a currency perspective from on the global sphere if Bitcoin still exists, it's going to be six figures. That's pretty cool. Just to hear him say that because, because of his perspective, because of where he's coming from specifically. Okay, and then uh, Fidelity is doubling their digital asset team. They announced this. That's, that's really cool. Cybersecurity firm Octagon Networks has adopted the Bitcoin standard. The entire balance sheet is converted into Bitcoin and they are accepting Bitcoin payments with a discount. That's crazy. Forgot about that. And you know, we're going to go ahead and close this out, but the last thing I wanted to bring up, I wanted to save this one just for the end of the kind of finance and culture and market and everything, is Square. So Square is a, I think they're like a $40, 50000000000 billion company. They own Cash App. Uh, they do Tidal, um, it's now Spiral, they had Square Crypto, but now it's called Spiral BTC, and they've got this TBD thing, which is, you know, what Jack Dorsey calls a Web 5, uh, which sounds like a joke, but, <laughs> but nonetheless, um, one of the interesting things that is the developments that have happened in the last, like, three-ish years is Square, I mean, this is a big financial services company and they're really big in the digital space and Cash App is one of the biggest uh, like peer-to-peer, -peer, like customer-to-customer -customer services for exactly that. But in the last few years when Square and when Cash App started selling Bitcoin, letting you buy and sell Bitcoin on the platform, that became their dominant means of revenue. I think it was at the end of 2020 that the revenue from Bitcoin surpassed all of their other revenue and it just continued to grow every single quarter um and now they have i mean square has become a bitcoin company so jack dorsey left twitter as ceo he is ceo of square he well he is ceo of block so square changed its name to block they changed their name from they changed the name of Square Crypto to Spiral BTC. Cash App implemented Lightning. 
they have gone hands down full on. They're a Bitcoin company. They're, they're really, I think, the first... I mean, MicroStrategy is probably a decent example of this, but they're one of the first companies that started with something completely different that was, that was big in its own right. And it has completely changed to almost... Like, like it's a totally Bitcoin company. It is about taking Bitcoin and Lightning Network to the next level and building the next era of the internet. And this is what Jack Dorsey is now solely focused on. Now, you can have complaints about how Cash App is doing stuff, about how it's KYC and it's you know centralized and the TBD is not going to be as good as Synonym and like what they're building. I kind of agree. Uh, but like there's all sorts of complaints and reasons to see a negative in that because it's a big company and it's a big financial company that you know wasn't built in the Bitcoin sphere. But as a company that was huge for accomplishing what it accomplished outside of Bitcoin before Bitcoin was even on its radar, to then completely become a Bitcoin company to the point that they changed their name Square to Block and that every part of their company is now doing something with or on top of Bitcoin and Lightning. That's just really cool. That, that feels like a big deal to me. You know, it's like one of those things that's like kind of a shift. It's an event, but it's not an event that's talked about. You know, like it just kind of happened at some point and there was no clear indication that it was this day. And it's like, oh, they changed their name to Block. Great. You know, Jack's been talking about Bitcoin forever, Square and Cash App. Everybody knows Bitcoin. But if we zoom out a little bit, the fact that a major company, a company that I was using Cash App, like I had the service well before Bitcoin was ever a part of it. The entire company from top to bottom is now centered and focused around Bitcoin. That, that is a pretty cool development in my book. And you know they're not being shook out. Like They don't give a crap about this dip. They're, they're taking the opportunity. They're heads down building. They're in it for the long haul. Jack Dorsey is Bitcoin all the way. So you know that's not going anywhere. And I just can't, in, in just thinking about it, I can't think of another company that really did that. That major company that everybody would have known with or without Bitcoin that has just kind of gone that fully devoted to it. Um, so it's worth noting. And yeah, so that's about um, third of my list. Like I didn't get into development and like new tech stuff at all. Um uh, I've got some market development stuff, uh, how things are decentralizing, which really has been kicked off a lot by 2020, by the pandemic and the lockdowns and everything. There have been a lot of major issues um, that have kind of come to the forefront on how dependent, interdependent our economies are and how non-independent we are from the context of like energy and a lot of our consumer goods. And that if there is ever a problem, we're kind of in a really bad way. But, you know, you don't fix a problem until you, re you recognize that the problem exists in the first place. Um, and so there's been some really interesting developments in that context of what has that revealed and about Bitcoin becoming more decentralized. And then the longest list and the most exciting list to me is Bitcoin in the political sphere, Bitcoin in government. And I've, I've touched on a couple of things that, you know, 
that have been bullish and have been connected to that. Like I consider the trucker convoy a political, a geopolitical event. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we've still got, we've still got a lot to get into. Um, but we'll close, we'll close part one here. And I want to remind everybody that everything that I've got here in this list is probably only recently just over a year old. Um, I was trying to, I was trying to collect a year's worth and I think we're just past it. I think it was like like at the end of May or whatever when I started adding to this list specifically. So that's just a little framing to remember when you think about everything that's going on right now. So let's go ahead and close this one out. Um, uh, we have got a lot more to dig in on this. Um, I'm going to try to get these out quick. I'm sorry for the gap. I did not have internet for three days. The construction guys cut my fiber line yet again. Um, so it got really, it was really, really difficult to get anything done. And it was a, it was a busy few days as well. So we are back in action. Now I want to get this little series, this little thing wrapped up, whatever we want to call it, the state of Bitcoin, something like that. I'll come up with a title here before I get it published, but there's just, there's something really awesome about zooming out a little bit about taking a step back and really looking at what has happened in the last year, specifically because the price was sideways and down. You know, there's, there's been a lot of incredible development, but everybody's so focused on the price. Everybody's so worried about what the price is, and I think we just constantly miss the really important developments and the kind of foundational shifts in the industry that are happening. Um, and the mining stuff, the geopolitical stuff, the, the government and the decentralization, oof, there's just some really, really cool stuff that has happened. And we will get into it on the next episode of Bitcoin Audible. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you to Swan Bitcoin. Thank you to the Bitbox hardware wallet from Shift Crypto. Thank you to Fold and the Fold app for, uh, well, just just having such awesome products and services that I use all the freaking time, but then also for helping to keep this podcast alive because they're fans and that makes me feel really good. Thank you to those guys. I am fed and the lights are on because of you. Thank you to the audio knots, the devoted listeners, the people who have freakishly listened to all the episodes of this podcast. You know who you are and you know you're weird and I really appreciate it. I I'm Guy Swan. I will catch you on the next episode of Bitcoin Audible. And until then, everybody, take it easy, guys. You have been listening to Bitcoin Audible, a 111 production. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.